Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And let me read you a text that I hope, oh, in the distant recesses of your mind, rings a bell. But uh, let me read it to you. It's in 1 Samuel 18. I want to begin in verse 20, and I'll read through verse 29. 1 Samuel 18, verse 20. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man and have no reputation? The servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, I'm not sure how long I need to spend in terms of review, but uh, I need to review because I'm resuming a, a, um, a series that I began a month ago on June the 8th. And, you know, after June the 8th was Father's Day, and there were those two Father's Day sermons in there. And, and then last week had to do with, uh, with July the 4th. And so here we are, a month later, resuming this study of uh, the life of Michael. And, by the way, we get interrupted next week as well. But um, this, is, this is a series that I uh, began on the 8th of June with you concerning the life of Michael. Not Michael the archangel, but Michael the woman who became the um, the wife of David. Now, just a couple of things that I think are necessary to remind you that you might can bring from the June the 8th over to the this morning. Two things, real quickly. First of all, you've got to keep in mind that David is a type of Christ. Does that ring a bell? Gang, by that I mean this. I, maybe you've heard this before, that David is a type of Christ. David is a prefigurement. That is, what, what goes on in the life of David is ultimately consummated later on in the life of Christ. The New Testament David is Christ. The, the, uh, the ultimate David is Christ. 
But, but uh, as you read the, the life of David, you get the account of a man's life, yes, but you get more. Because there's more in the life of David than just the record of his history. There is this glimpse often to the distant future where we see the ultimate David born in Bethlehem. David is a type, he's a, he's a, he's a prefigurement of what is going to come in a fuller way later on in Christ. So, as we watch people come in and out of the life of David, what you're getting there is, is the kind of responses people are going to have later to Christ. When you watch Saul and Jonathan and Joab and Michael and Ahithophel and all those people relate to David in the Old Testament, they are brands, they are kinds of, they are types of responses that we'll see later as people relate to Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind. I hope that's fairly clear. When you're reading the life of David, you're also reading something that gives you some kind of foreshadowing of who the ultimate day. By the way, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know who said that first? You know who said that, don't you? <laughs> Christ said that. But you know who said it first? David. David wrote that first. Because of so much of what you see in the Psalms is predictive of the ultimate arrival of the Messiah. Okay? I hope that's somewhat clear. That's the first thing. That David is a type of Christ. And so you can bounce back and forth between what you're watching in David's life to the, what you will see later in Christ's life. Second thing. I said on June the 8th that oftentimes the Bible likens our relationship to Christ to a marriage. It's a metaphor. And the metaphor that is frequently used to describe the relationship that exists between us and Christ is that of a marriage. And, and there's numerous metaphors in the Bible. There's um, shepherd and sheep. There's king and subject. There's father and son. And those are all very good metaphors to help us understand our relationship to God. But the one that's the richest, the fullest, the, 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 the broadest is the metaphor of a bride and a bridegroom, a marriage. We are married to Christ. And, and in that metaphor, you get, you get hints of things like permanence, security, intimacy. That is, the, our relationship to Christ is like a marriage in its sense of permanence and security and intimacy. So, what you get here in this story of Michael is that Michael is the bride of David. The type of Christ. And of course, the bride of Christ is the church. That would be us. So what you're watching in this story of David and his bride is a kind of story Story that has a message about how the church will respond to Christ later on. Are you still with me? I hope so. 
What you're getting here is a story of a, of a marriage. That is, in David and Michael, you're getting the story of a marriage because that's the metaphor that's frequently used. But oftentimes, the marriage is a bad one. <laughs> it's a bad marriage, like, like the marriage of David and Michael. It's a bad marriage. And it's bad, by the way, not because of the groom, but because of the bride. She's the problem. Michael's the problem, not David. Michael is described in verse 20 and in verse 28 as loving David. By the way, that's the only time in the New Testament that a woman is ever described as expressly loving a man. But before her story ends, before the story of Michael ends in 2 Samuel 6, she despises him. She had something that she called love for David. But apparently it wasn't the real thing. But if you'd have stopped her and asked her at this moment about her relationship to David, she would have said, oh, I love him. But apparently she didn't. You know, that reminds me of a story, another story that's in here um, about, do you know the name Abraham? Of course you do. Abraham, the father of the faith. Abraham um, was called by God to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, his, his home country. He was asked to go leave his father, Terah, and go off to a place where he... Uh, he, God would tell him, show him later, and he was just to follow God. And so when Abraham left his family, he took his nephew with him. Remember Lot? Lot is his brother's son. And they both leave the Ur of the Chaldees to go follow God. And yet, by the end of Lot's life, he is utterly disgraced and discredited. He said... He said he wanted to follow God. But apparently he didn't want to follow him very closely. Wilbur Reese, just a guy who, who described Lot like this. Listen to this. He describes what Lot did like this. He said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or, or change my prejudices. No, no. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That's it, isn't it? I mean... You know, down deep, we, we don't want to dump God entirely. But we just want to keep him at a, at a comfortable distance. Three dollars worth of God will be, will be plenty. You know, a, a sack full. Not, not any more than that. Just, a, just, just enough to keep my guilt level before, below the threshold of pain and 
Just enough to guarantee that I escape all kinds of eternal flames and all, but certainly not enough to make me nervous or to, or to push around my prejudices or change my behavior. Oh no. Enough is enough. Michael loves David. But not really. Guys, we're told here that, that, that Michael says she loves David. But uh, it, was a, it was a weak, watery, flat, shallow, insipid love. Maybe by, like the love that some of us have. But does that mean that, that we're going to end up like Lot? Or even worse, like Michael? Let's see. Guys, the story as we enter it here uh, in the life of David, he is at this point a national hero. He is um, He's handsome. He's charming. Full of charisma. He has got an enormous following. Why? I mean, he just, um, he just killed Goliath. Just, just earlier, he just slayed Goliath. His name was on, um, every set of lips in Israel. They, they wrote songs about him. They sang those songs. And though I don't know the tune to the songs, I, I know the words to the songs. The, 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 the words of the songs are right here in chapter 18. The lyrics go like this. Saul has killed his thousands. Oh, but David, David has slain his ten thousands. It was crowds, fame, and and he was, that is David, he, he wasn't a word legendary. Saul, the king, had, Michael's father, she, he had heard those songs. He didn't like them. And um, it's at this point where you can get your first whiff of intrigue and jealousy and trouble. Because David or Saul didn't like those songs that were comparing him to David. But his daughter, Michael, got, got caught up in all this, all this, this fervor about David. And by the way, so did his son. That is one of Saul's sons by the name of Jonathan. Yeah, I'm sure you recognize that name. Um, Michael looked at David with, with starry eyes. Oh, to be married to David. Oh, just think of it. Oh, how, how my girlfriends would envy me then if I, if I were married to someone like, like David. Her brother Jonathan, he's also said to have loved David. That's in chapter 18, verse 1. And let me read you what it says about Jonathan. 
um, Jonathan, it's, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then we're told in, in verse 16 that all Israel um, loved David. Uh, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. That's a Hebrew idiom that just describes his, he, he was their military leader in all their battles. The point is, guys, there's a whole lot of loving going on directed at David. But in every instance, folks, everyone ultimately turns their back on David except Jonathan. All Israel and Judah turned their back on him in that ugly Absalom incident. Michael certainly turns her back on him. The only one that remained loyal and faithful to him was Jonathan. Which leads me to conclude this. There is love. And then there's love. There's love with a little L, and then there's love in all caps. There's, there's a love that people call love that isn't love. And then there's a love that is real love, and it lasts. There's a whole lot of loving going on here, folks. Only very little of it is the real thing. David was a military hero, eclipsing all the other generals, including the King Saul. Michael, um, Michael couldn't talk to her father about about David because she sensed that there was something really sinister in her dad but she could talk to her brother Jonathan I heard one man imagine a conversation that perhaps could have been exchanged between Jonathan and Michael and it went something like this Johnny Who is this David guy? Oh, Michael. He's the most wonderful person I've ever met. I I, I was there when he defeated Goliath. Oh, Michael, you should have seen him. Uh, He went in and told Dad that he would be willing to go into the Valley of Elah and and fight Goliath. And dad tried to dress him up in some, some silly military armor. It was, it was far too big for him. You should have seen it. It was hilarious. And then he took it all off. And I saw him, Michael. I watched him. I saw him, Michael, go into that valley completely un, unarmed. And yet with with utter confidence. And I knew, Michael, 
I knew that if he won, I won. You know that was the deal, don't you, Michael? I mean, if Goliath had won, we were supposed to serve the Philistines. And if our representative won, we, the Philistines were going to serve us. And I watched David stride into that valley without a sword, without a shield, without a spear. I watched him, Michael, and, and I knew that if he won, I won. And Michael, when he chopped off Goliath's head with Goliath's sword, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to tell you. Just something went off in me that I, that I, I just find it hard to explain it. I, I can just tell you this. I loved him immediately. I loved him instantly. <laughs> I even I, I even gave him my robe and my tunic and my sword and bow and belt and you know all that stuff that, that dad had given to me, I gave it to him. You did what? She said. John, are you are you nuts? Don't you know that dad's gonna be furious if he ever finds out you gave that stuff away? And not only that, Jonathan. Don't you realize that those are your emblems of royalty? Yeah, I do know, Michael. But it doesn't matter. You know, Michael, I I really think that God has chosen him to be the next king, not me. And and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that, Michael. Because... Everything about him is just beautiful. And all those emblems of royalty, they just don't mean anything once you get to know him. Michael listened to her brother and she was swept away She leaned over the breakfast table and she whispered one question to her brother. Is he married? No, I don't think so, Michael. Well, then then how can I meet him? Oh, girl, you're in luck. Because dad has invited him into our house for supper tonight. So she runs off to her bedroom. She spends the rest of the day doing her nails, fixing her hair, and doing her makeup. Everybody loved David. It it was the thing to do, to, to, to love David. It was easy. It was easy to be a David fan. In fact... There was only one person in all of Israel that despised him. That was Saul. Just like there are only a very few people who would say they despise Christ Jesus today. No, that that wouldn't be said. But most people have... Maybe not most people. 
a lot of people have a have a an opinion of Christ that's very similar to Michael's opinion of David. Michael loved him. But why? Would would she have loved him six months earlier when she saw him out on the family farm tending the sheep with his harp in his hand? It's hard to say. What was it that Michael loved? Um, Was it David? Or did she just get caught up in the frenzy of it all? Tell me. What kind of love do you have for Jesus Christ? Guys, if I could take just a 60 seconds of a personal note. This is somewhat of an aside. But you know what? In this present economic downturn we're in, that just doesn't seem to want to go away, I think we're going to find out what we all love. I've already told you that that this marriage between Michael and David became a bad marriage. We'll see that later, but what happened? Well, first of all, this thing got off on the wrong foot from the very outset. Um, I didn't read you this part, but up in verses 17 through 19, um, you know, David was originally supposed to marry Michael's older sister, Merib. That was the deal that Saul had made. Uh, You know, whoever kills Goliath, I'll give him my daughter Merib in marriage. But then, but then Saul began to play tricks on him. And he gave Merib to somebody else. And, and, um, so this, this thing got off on the wrong foot. That's what it means in, in our text when he says, tell him a second time. Did you, did you pick that up? Go, go to David and tell him a second time that I want him to be my, my son-in-law. Um, speak to him on a, it's in verse 21. Saul said to David a second time because he had said it to him once. I'll give you Merib. But he played a little, a little stun, a little smoothie, you know, a little behind the backer. And so uh, now it's Michael. But if you'll, if you'll notice, guys, in in verse seventeen, again, uh, here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for only be valiant for me in the Lord's battles. Do you know what Saul is up to? It becomes very clear in our text. What Saul is hoping is that David will go out into one of those battles with the Philistines as he's uh, trying to win uh, one of the daughters of Saul and that David will be killed. Saul says, I don't want to put my hand against him, so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just demand a hundred foreskins of Philistine soldiers as the dowry price. That'll take care of him. The Philistines will kill him for me. <laughs> but it didn't work. 
David goes out and brings 200 foreskins of Philistine soldiers in. And then Saul hears that Michael, his second daughter, is kind of taking a shine to David. And and Saul is excited about that. He's he's very glad about that. Um, look at verse twenty and um, verse twenty one. Saul thought, "Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him." Guys, do you see what Saul is doing? He's using his daughters as devices by which he might murder David. He um, he was all for this new relationship between Michael and David because he apparently knows something about his own daughter. And he says, oh, yes, let him marry Michael because then she'll be a snare to him. Saul is thinking that maybe Michael will help him in his attempt to destroy David. Guys, what is it that her dad knew about her? What what did daddy know about daughter that made him conclude, oh, this is a good thing. It's a good thing for David to marry Michael because uh, that'll be the end of him. <laughs> I don't know. It's not in the text. But but perhaps this is a hint. Look at verse 20. Saul's daughter, Michael. Verse 28. Um, Michael, Saul's daughter. Later on, you're going to see it again and again. Saul's daughter, daughter of Saul. Saul's daughter, daughter of Saul. Maybe what the text is trying to tell us is that she was more devoted to her father than she was to anybody else. You know, the this, this man who was insanely jealous of David... His daughter. You, you know the guy. The one who had tried on numerous attempts to, to kill David. His daughter. The, that, that man who was, has uh, hunted him down and tracked him down like a wild animal. That one. His daughter. Saul's daughter. Because David or Saul knew that Michael... Michael loved her royal position more than she loved anything else. Daddy knew that when push came to shove, she would really show what she really loved. And you know what? When this story is over, Saul was right. Michael ultimately shows what she really loves. Guys, um, what is it that you really love most? Who do you really love? To whom does your heart really belong? 
to David or to Saul? Oh, um, you say that you love David, and, and I don't blame you. Because like Jonathan said, there's no one I've ever met who's anything like him. But his, um, his sister, she said she loved him too. And, um, she got caught up in all the hype when her real love was her royal position. She didn't love David. She loved being the king's daughter. Now, who's going to get that for me? You know, guys, when I preach these sermons, I told you I did this to the um, to your high school students. Um. I kind of singled out the the students in our church that go to Christian schools. And there's some good Christian schools in this city. And we have um, a goodly number of kids who go to both or all three or four Christian schools in this city. You, you know, they go to the schools where where everybody is supposed to love Jesus. But what takes place on the campuses of the universities that they attend after those schools? You know, some of them don't even make it that long, that is, to the college campus. They get their driver's license, and they begin to hang out at the uh, local hotspots. You know, Will Savell, um, who is the director of high school students at Gracie Van. Will Savell told me this. He said that when the ninth graders move up from junior high into the high school, a high school program, when the ninth graders move up, they are wide open. I mean, excited and, you know, they're up with the big kids now. And I mean, they're in high school and there is, uh, it is really, boy, this is great. And by the time they become a senior, so many of them are gone. You know, they get to the 10th grade and still excited. <laughs> and then they get the driver's license. And then they begin to find um, other things. What happens? I don't know. But I can say this. We begin to find out what they really love. But what about you parents, you you adults? What do you really love? Is it Jesus? Or is it that your friends go here? Or maybe... The sports programs over at Grace of Ann, they are really top flight. Is it a Jonathan-type love that you have? Or is it a Michael-type 
love. My friends, to whom or to what have you given your heart? Has the beauty of Christ overtaken you? Or is being related to him advantageous? Guys, the story of Michael gives us an opportunity to once again gaze at the beauty of Jesus Christ and then ask ourselves, who do we really love? You think about that. Our Father, I do pray that you might use uh, this story as well as others to identify first the great beauty of Jesus Christ. Might people see all over again what Jonathan saw, that he is altogether lovely, that he is fairer than 10,000. Might people be able to gaze at the loveliness of Christ and find their hearts leap all over again? Might people be able to see something that Michael didn't, but that Jonathan did? Father, for those um, whose love is weak and shallow and insipid, Use this opportunity to replace it with that which is real and abiding and lasting forever. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. In whose name we pray.